I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Before we start our podcast, we would like everyone to know that CORDS is going to host our 10th annual Sanford Rare Disease Symposium virtually this year. This will take place on October 16th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We will be focusing on technologies and clinical tools for therapy development in lysosomal storage disorders, and we will have experts in the rare disease field come and present on these topics. To register, you can visit our website at sanfordresearch.org slash CORDS or you can visit our Twitter and Facebook page. We hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome to another episode of Cast. I am Polly Gill alongside with Alyssa Mendel today, and we are sitting down with Deborah Fowler with the Softbones Foundation. So thanks again, Deb, for joining us today on Chords. I think if you could just introduce yourself and your affiliation with the foundation that you're a part of, and then just a little bit of a background on how you got brought into the rare disease community. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. So, um, you know, my name is Deb Fowler, and I am the founder and president of Soft Bones, which is the U.S. Hypophosphatasia Foundation. And, you know, my journey um, began back when my son was diagnosed with hypophosphatasia at 18 months old. And my story is not unlike many other rare disease stories that I'm sure you've heard. You know, it started out with a gut feeling that something wasn't right. You know, my son wasn't making his milestones. Um, He actually, his tooth fell out at a year old, which is obviously um, unusual for uh, a toddler. And, um, you know, my, my physicians and dentists and pediatricians at the time would just chalk it up to, you know, your son is, you know, can't be compared to your other children, you know, he's following his own path. And, um, but, you know, as a mother, I think we all have that mother's instinct that, you know, we know something doesn't feel right. And so I kept pushing and pushing for more tests. And, Um, Eventually, he was diagnosed at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia with hypophosphatasia, and I'd never heard of it before. It was a disease I I had never come across in any kind of literature or reading, and so I just said, well, what is that? And I, I started to do a Google search, thank God the internet was in existence, and saw um, a Wikipedia entry about HPP, and then tons of journal articles, which I could not understand. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I I have a background as a journalist, so I said, I'll just go to the patient advocacy group and find out more about this and connect with other families, um, only to find that there wasn't a patient advocacy group here in the United States. 
so that was about 12 years ago um, that all of this happened. And I just, you know, kind of went through a dark time for a little bit where I was very depressed. And, you know, I felt like I was the only one in the world who was going through this experience and um, slowly but surely connected with some other families online and knowing that the importance of having a patient advocacy group for a rare disease is so important I just felt like I you know I, I didn't want to be the one who sat around waiting wondering if research was going on I wanted to make sure that it was happening so um, started soft bones um, we called it soft bones because hypophosphatasia isn't exactly the easiest disease to pronounce or spell we wanted patients to be able to find us so um yeah so we started soft bones uh, we just celebrated our uh, 10th year as a 501c3 but the uh, planning and organization started a couple years uh prior to that so we've been around for about 12 years raising awareness connecting with patients here in the u.s and around the world and what are the symptoms of hypophosphatasia? So the symptoms of hypophosphatasia, um, depending on the severity, can show up anytime from prenatally, where uh, babies may have broken bones in utero or may be delayed in their growth milestones and measuring behind in their on their ultrasounds, to um, symptoms that present themselves after birth, where um, Babies may be born with fractures during the birth process, or they may be uh, have undermineralized skeletons, or have some bowing of the limbs, or some uh, rickets, which they call it, from from some of the deformities that we see. So early on, um, a lot of times that can cause delays in milestones. So babies may not roll over, they may not sit, they may not stand. Um, so that's early on some of the signs that we hear from parents, they start to question, you know, something doesn't seem quite right. They go to their doctor, they may ask. Um, and then the dental manifestations is another sign in childhood that we see quite often where a, a child will lose a tooth before the age of five with no um, any kind of trauma or impact. So it just kind of seems odd that a, a baby would be losing teeth and the teeth not only fall out, but they fall out with the root completely intact. Wow. And that's due to an actual metabolic uh, change because the enzyme alkaline phosphatase, which is uh, an important part of the mineralization process is deficient. So it causes a disruption in the cementum, which anchors the tooth into the socket. So the, the biggest um, telltale sign of HPP is a low alkaline phosphatase reading, which is actually present on a traditional blood panel. And so we hear from many patients that their whole lives, even myself, this is true, I've had a low alkaline phosphatase reading on every blood test I've ever had since I was a child. Mm -hmm. But because you know there's not a lot of awareness out there about hypophosphatasia, physicians looked it over routinely. And a lot of times they're trained to look for things that are high, like cholesterol or you know sugar levels and other, but not so much for things that are low. So we do a lot of advocacy and awareness to raise awareness about if you have a low alkaline phosphatase, you may have hypophosphatasia mm -hmm. or be a carrier of the gene and may have uh, the potential to pass it on to a child. So um, that ALP reading is kind of the, the telltale sign, but there's so much we're still learning about HPP as well. So we're learning it's, it's even though we're called soft bones, it's much more than a bone disease. We're realizing that there's 
uh, neurological component to HPP, and it can impact things like um, cognitive awareness, brain fog. Um, there's a lot of uh, pain that's associated with HPP that can be misdiagnosed as um, fibromyalgia or arthritis. Um, and then for older patients, uh, it, many times it's misdiagnosed as osteoporosis. So everything from you know fractures to pain to um, calcium crystals or deposits in places where um, you may not expect them in the joints or even uh, in areas like the shoulders. So it's uh, it kind of, again, a big range of spectrum of different symptoms, but um, you know, in the end, that low alkaline phosphatase is kind of the common thread and one of the first things that clinicians will look for when they suspect a, an HPP diagnosis. So now is HPP primarily diagnosed in children or? It, it can depend. So if you have a more mild form of disease or what they call the adult form of HPP, mm -hmm. where you may not see symptoms until later in life, um, a lot of times it can go overlooked for years. And it's not like your alkaline phosphatase will necessarily drop. Traditionally, there is a lower trend in your alkaline phosphatase over time. So it's just that either people, it hasn't been low enough where it's really caused symptoms, or maybe for women, they go through menopause and have some bone loss as a part of that, you know, just that natural um, process of, of going through that hormonal change. And that can sometimes cause the disease symptoms to kind of reveal themselves a little bit later in life. So just making sure that that ALP reading is is on track and on the radars of doctors and that people when they have a low ALP, if they you know Google it and they're looking for what the cause could be that hypophosphatasia is there, that's one of the, the big um, you know priorities and objectives of our organization. What are the treatments then for hypophosphatasia? Are there any known treatments out there? Yeah, so we, we're very fortunate in that in the um, you know, 10 or so years that we've been in existence, we've gone from not having a treatment to having an FDA-approved treatment. Oh, so, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so we uh, went through the whole clinical trial process and um, actually have an enzyme replacement therapy um, called uh, Strensic, uh, which is uh, available on the market. It has a, uh, a pediatric indication, which basically means it's it's indicated for people who have that pediatric onset. So somebody who has um, had symptoms shown earlier in life, whether that's you know fractures or pain or tooth loss or other uh, symptoms that come along with HPP. Um, but there's adults, like I said, who have you know the childhood form who were you know had symptoms early on who can qualify for the medication. So um, it's it's really uh, shown a dramatic improvement for a lot of patients and has helped them to, um, really see some changes in their bone structure, actually correcting some of the deformities. Um, it's helped with pain management for some, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's an injected enzyme replacement therapy that's dosed based on weight. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there different types of hypophosphatasia? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, it's, a, it's somewhat of a complicated answer. So the, um, the, Hypophosphatasia has been called uh, the bone disease with the greatest spectrum of severity. So there are um, babies that are diagnosed prenatally. There are children who are diagnosed um, in their infantile stages. 
there is a childhood classification of disease and then adults. Um, and then there's also a form of disease called odonto, which only has a dental manifestation where the teeth fall out, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of skeletal impact. So um, really the disease is diagnosed based on the age of the onset or um, diagnosis of symptoms of the disease. So I think what's challenging about that though is it is a genetic um, disease. It is a genetically inherited disease. So you have it from birth, but you may not be diagnosed until later in life. Although that's changing now with um, genetic analysis and the mm -hmm. ability to see that patients have these mutations. So it's interesting because people may have a more mild form of disease, but may get a genetic diagnosis earlier on. So it kind of throws this whole classification system into a, um, a, a little bit of a tizzy because it's hard to understand. Um, we may have an adult patient um, who's diagnosed with a childhood form of disease. So it can be confusing, mm -hmm. but um, typically it is classified in terms of age of onset and age of diagnosis. And um, I know that you were talking earlier about, you know, when you, when your son got diagnosed with this, um, you couldn't find anybody else who had this. Um, what advice would you give parents, um, patients who have received the diagnosis? Yeah, I, I think that every family is so different and every case is so different, but my one piece of advice that I usually will give families is to try to find a physician who has extensive experience in treating HPP, who's seen various forms of the disease, and then join our community to help to find other families. Because I think that that feeling of being alone and isolated is something that can be very real and very, um, uh, it can be very troubling. So trying to connect with others who've had similar experiences, especially because the disease has such a vast spectrum of severity. You, know, you may find another patient who is similar, but may have one complication that's completely different from you. So connecting with another family who's had that similar experience can really help you to know what kinds of questions to ask, the potential treatment options, you know, even helping you from an emotional support standpoint. So that that kind of buddy system where you connect with others and, the, and getting involved in the HPP community is really a critical uh, step and a piece of advice that I think um, every family should try to uh, take. What would you say the benefit um, is for participating in the courts registry? Absolutely. Well, in my conversations with researchers, especially in rare diseases, one of the things I keep hearing is, you know, having a patient population that you can tap into um, at a moment's notice to either get insights to help inform research or to actually participate in clinical trials or other research studies is that, you know, having that, that immediate access to that group of patients, whether it's in the United States or globally, is critical. And so, we have our mailing lists and you know our, our Facebook pages and all of our social media channels where we obviously have a connection point to patients. But having that independent third party registry where we call our registry a contact registry. So any researcher from around the world who's looking to contact patients who have HPP can go to the CORDS registry, um, submit a request uh, and then potentially be connected with patients in an anonymous way um, to, to find out if they're interested in participating in a research opportunity. And so 
from a patient standpoint, this is the way for you to keep an ear to the ground for any kind of studies or research that may potentially impact your patient or loved one who has a disease. So we specifically chose the CORD registry because we liked the fact that it's not a soft bones registry. It's a third party CORDS registry. So patients have ultimate control of their data. And if they want to take their information out of that registry, they can. You know, we as soft bones don't own it. You know, we don't have any kind of control over it. Um, but we do, uh, you know, encourage people to, to make sure that if they have a family member or if they themselves have HPP, that they get their information in there so that any research opportunity that comes across our way, we're sending those researchers to the registry so that they can reach out to the patients that way. Um, again, in a way that protects the patient's identity, they learn about the research opportunity. And if it makes sense for them to participate, then they can opt into contacting the researchers and participating on their own terms. Good, good. And um, do you have um, a website that people could visit um, to receive more information about um, hypophosphatasia and to connect with people and um, to contact you if they have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is uh, softbones.org and you can email us. Uh, the main kind of email that gets to everybody is info at softbones.org and that goes to Denise, myself and Bonnie and it will allow us to triage and find out, you know, depending on what your question is, if you need more information or you're looking for research opportunities or how to get involved in the registry or join our patient community we can connect you with the right, uh, the right uh, line of access to make sure that you get the information that you need. So we're really proud that we were able to establish October 30th as HPP Awareness Day. And we chose that date based on several factors. One is that October is Dental Hygiene Awareness Month. And knowing that hypophosphatasia patients do have dental concerns, everything from early tooth loss to dental challenges, dealing with uh, dental caries and other things throughout the course of their lives. That's a, it's an important focus of uh, awareness and education for soft bones. So that was one reason. Uh, the second reason is Osteoporosis Awareness Week falls in the middle of October. And many of our patients are misdiagnosed as having osteoporosis. So another kind of important um, commonality of having it in the month of October. And then finally, um, you know, it's also right before Halloween, the day before <laughs> Halloween, which, you know, is associated with skeletons and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of going out and, and things that can be scary. And one of our taglines is that HPP doesn't have to be scary. So if we can help to educate and make people aware, um, a rare disease can be managed. It can be something that can be uh, lived with. People have a very full life living with HPP. So HPP doesn't have to be scary. So we're really excited to celebrate HPP Awareness Day coming up on the 30th. Awesome. That's great. And I like how you I like how you associated that with um, Halloween. Like it doesn't have to be scary. I think that's really cool how you did that. Yeah, it's fun. And it's, yeah. it's actually interesting because the uh, the um, advocacy or the industry partner um, the pharmaceutical company that makes our drug is kind of playing into that with their latest campaign to oh, cool. call, they're calling it unmask HPP because so many patients, you know, kind of go around their whole lives wearing, they not knowing they have HPP. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's an, an interesting, uh, 
way that they kind of par- parlayed off of that as well. But it's you know, all the other awareness days are like earlier in the year, so mm-hmm. we kind of picked a, a later date, unique one. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it it's a lot. unique, <laughs> and the timing makes sense. Yes, yes, awesome. All right, is um, Deb, is there anything else you want to add on behalf of Softbones and HPP? Um, anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I think you know one of the other things I just want to mention when we talk about registries, there's a lot of, I think can be registry fatigue out there because there's a lot of registries out there, especially for hypophosphatasia, some with academic institutions, some with um, industry. And I want to be clear that, you know, a patient advocacy registry is very different from one that may be done uh, by industry or an academic institution in that I kind of see us as the funnel for all research. So if you think of the soft bones um, and what we do from a patient advocacy standpoint, we're trying to encourage all researchers to continue to understand more about the disease. We're looking into gene therapy and gene editing and other ways of research. All of those researchers are pushed to the CORDS registry if they have questions for patients or are looking for insights to help inform their research. Whereas some of the other registries may have completely different objectives. And I think sometimes I hear patients say, oh yeah, I'm part of a registry, but they're not necessarily a part of the patient advocacy registry, which is the CORDS registry. Mm-hmm. So I think that just knowing that differentiation, that there are many registries that are out there and understanding the difference between them is super important. Thank you so much, Deb, for taking the time to sit down with us and talk about your foundation. You are doing such a great job with your advocacy group and really getting people involved. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Cordscast. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Cordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry cords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash cords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to cords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Cords. The content of Cordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cordscast.